Major Richard Winters, if you don't know the name, uh, is a former United States Army officer and a decorated war veteran. He commanded E Company, or Easy Company, uh, of the 2nd Battalion, 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment, and the 101st Airborne Division during World War II. And if you don't know about him, you might know the, the series Band of Brothers, which chronicled their experience through, from basic training right through to the end of World War II. If you haven't seen that series, I thoroughly recommend it to you. It is a hard watch at times. Um, I'd imagine more so if you've actually served in the military, but it is a hard watch at times, but it is very, by all accounts, very good um, and informative at the very least. In the closing segments of the fifth episode, uh, E Company has just had, Easy Company's just had a, a, a weekend off, uh, which is quite unusual. Um, and then news arrives that there's this big push by uh, the enemy force. This is the last big push to try and tip the war into their balance, Second World War. Uh, this battle would later become known as the Battle of the Bulge. It was Germany's last major offensive launched towards the end of World War II. Easy Company raced in to hold the line, ill-equipped for the bitter cold weather and the entrenched battle ahead. As the troops move into position in the episode, they pass by a retreating division of American soldiers that have been pummeled by the enemy. An outgoing lieutenant says to Major Winters, a panzer division is about to cut the road south. It looks like you guys are going to be surrounded. Winters calmly and confidently assures Rice, we're paratroopers, Lieutenant. We're supposed to be surrounded. As the, that's uh, the real Major Winters there and the guy Damien Lewis who portrayed him in the series. As the episode ends, it fades to black and the graphic tells us that Easy Company moved into Bastogne Woods without support from, sky, from the sky, from any aerial support or from artillery, that they lacked food, ammunition and winter clothes. Then this quote from their Kurahi scrapbook appears and says this, Farthest from your mind is the thought of falling back. In fact, it isn't there at all. And so you dig your foxhole carefully and deep and wait. Have you ever felt like that in life? Surrounded, little or no backup, lacking the ammunition or equipment to get the job done. I certainly do every time Megan goes out and leaves me to look after our two children. <laughs> now, I said to Joe, I'm not downplaying the seriousness of war, and I'll say a little bit about that in a second. But do you ever feel like that? Oh man, I feel like I'm surrounded here. I've got, it feels like no one is, no one's helping me, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm up against this, and all I've got is a spud gun. You know, it's sort of, I haven't got the right equipment, haven't got the right stuff, how am I going to get this done? We can feel like that at times, in our lives at times. As a church we have a, a set of values, one of those values is courage. 
We say this, building a culture of courage, we choose to follow God on the adventure of faith. We speak and act in a way that makes it clear that he alone is Lord of our lives. We put aside our reputation and personal comfort to be obedient to the call of God. This morning we're going to be talking a bit about spiritual warfare. And there's three key things that we might need to know. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page before we begin talking about that. There's a fantastic quote from Terry Virgo, uh, who's the founder of New Frontiers. He says this, The Christian life is not like a battle, it is a battle. It's not, it's not oh, I'm, it's like I'm in a battle. You are in a battle. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in a battle. You are a soldier, you are part of an army, you are in a war. There are battles fought in your everyday life that have eternal significance. Now we have members of this church who have served in the armed forces, and in no way am I downplaying the seriousness um, or the intensity of that. Instead, what I'm saying is, I'm not trying to belittle that, I'm saying, actually we need to recognise that the Christian life is a lot more like that than it is going up the Harlequin or into Okay? The Christian life is a lot more like that. It's a lot more like Band of Brothers than it is, I don't know, it's a sitcom. Friends. Thank you. Hmm? Star. So three things we need to know. One, Christian life is not like a battle, it is a battle. Second thing you need to know, Jesus isn't a baby anymore. Mark Driscoll says this, During Jesus' life on earth, we saw him in his state of humble incarnation. Now that he has returned to heaven, we must see him in his state of glorious exaltation. We need to sometimes, I think, we need to change our perception of Jesus. How, when you think of, when someone says to you, ah, you follow Jesus, what's your first thought? Is it you no know, baby in a manger? Is it little boy who was at the temple asking questions and everyone was like, wow. Is it a man going around teaching wonderful things, doing miraculous things? Is it a battered, beaten man on a cross? Is it even risen Jesus who's teaching. He's sort of here and then he's not, and then he's and then he's there and then he's not, and then he's ascended into heaven. Or is it yes, view of the ascended, glorious and awe-inspiring Jesus? I'm going to read a passage from Revelation. If you're a bit nervous with this book, because you think, oh, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Verse 1 of chapter 1 says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. At any time, if you're reading this book, the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, and you're thinking, oh, I'm not really sure what's going on here, you're meant to be seeing something about Jesus. So don't get up afraid, don't be afraid of the stuff that's written in here, because it's, it's weird poetry, it's hard for us to understand, because we don't have poetry like that anymore, really. But it's a revelation of Jesus. And then in chapter 19, this is how, this is part of the revelation of Jesus. This is uh, 
verses 11 to 16. This is John writing, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus, by the way. Jesus is the one who's sitting on the horse, in case you don't know that. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, which are like crowns. Say, this guy is royalty. It's not like a crown, though, it's more like a band, which is why there's many of them. And he has a, he has a name written that no one but himself knows. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Is that the picture of Jesus that you get? When someone says to you, oh, you follow Jesus, what, what is, what's Jesus like? Oh, he's really, he's really loving, he's really kind. Yeah, he is all of those things. He's also the rider on a white horse. His eyes are like a flame of fire. You know when someone looks at you, you think, they're spoiling for a fight. They're, or, man, she's giving me daggers. My little girl, Lara, the youngest, she's got this look that she, she obviously doesn't know what she's doing, or if she does, she's really quite harsh. She'll just sit there in, in her car chair and just sort of, she's got this resting face which looks like I'm just going to bore the eyes and bore holes into you. <laughs> Jesus had eyes that are like a flame of fire. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Cuts through things. His robe is dipped in blood. What's your picture of Jesus? It's important that we view Jesus as he is. That he is the commander ruling the nations with a rod of iron. He is going to make war. He is faithful and true. So Jesus isn't a baby anymore. Jesus has won the victory. He's won the war. It's absolute. It's uncontestable. It's done. John 16 verse 33 says this. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus' victory is absolute. If you've got a Bible with you, maybe turn to uh, Ephesians 6. If not, it's up there. Only a few verses today. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may, may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. This morning we're going for an overview of spiritual warfare. Today is the beginning of this framework that we're going to be building upon over the next few weeks as we look through this last major section of Ephesians talking about the armour of God. So we're not going to cover everything but we're going to start our framework today. Now. I don't know anything about war, other than I've watched Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan and things like that, and I once, you know, the closest I've come to being in an actual war is when we were kids and throwing cooking apples at each other, um, and when you're five years younger than your brothers, you tend to um, get beaten. Um, so I don't really know much, but I think there are three fundamentals to victory. Three fundamentals of winning for any battle. You need to know your strategy, you need to know your enemy, and you need to know what victory looks like. This is true of a lot of stuff in life. This is how you win. If you're going to win at something, you need to know what winning looks like. Otherwise, when you arrive there, you won't know and you'll be looking for something else when actually you've already won. Or you'll be going off in the wrong direction. We're going to look at these in reverse order. So first of all, we're going to look at what is a victory? What does victory look like in this battle? Let me just uh, read some more of Ephesians 6 to you. I'll read the same bit again. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present dark, darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. What does victory look like in this battle? Stand is what it looks like. Stand firm. Stand therefore. Stand. That's what Paul is saying. saying, you don't even have to take a step forward. You just have to stand. It's a famous quote by Martin Luther when he's being challenged um, to recant the stuff that he was critiquing the Catholic Church about, Catholic of the Big C. Um, <clears throat> and he says, allegedly he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Stand, we've got to stand firm. That's what Paul's encouragement is. Standing firm is the victory. Now that doesn't mean it's like we just ignore what's going on. It's not, uh, like, oh, I've just been slapped in the face. No, I haven't. That never happened. We're not, we're not ignoring what's going on. We're aware that we're in a battle, but we're standing firm. Jesus stood firm. He didn't compromise on the truth. Don't compromise on the truth. 
in the Band of Brothers series, Easy Company in Bastogne, there's no advance. There's no advance. But standing firm, holding the ground, was the victory. You're going to push against me, well, I'm just going to stand my ground. I'm, you, you can't take it. This is the line, there's no more. You can't push me any further. This is it. Victory looks a bit like what Dan was sharing last week. The fruit of the Spirit in your workplace, that's victory. Someone hates you, well, I'm going to love you. Someone's spreading lies about you, well, I'm just going to tell the truth. Standing firm. To not lose ground is to be victorious. Jesus has already won the victory. We need to just stand firm. It's pretty liberating, really, to know well, I don't have to go and do these great exploits for God. He's already done it. I just need to stand firm where he's put me. Obey what he's told me to do. We need to know that that's what winning looks like. We need to know our enemy. When I say know your enemy, I mean... Who is the enemy and what are their tactics? Verses 11 and 12 says, Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. <clears throat> Satan, demons, demonic activity... The supernatural realm is real. Okay, can we all get on the same page there? It's real. And if you don't think it's real, you've been taken out of the battle already. There's a quote from a film which I won't recommend to you uh, called The Usual Suspects. I watched it when I was much younger. It's probably far too violent to be watched now. But it says... One of the characters says this, I couldn't find an origin for this quote other than this film. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Know your enemy. In verse 12, it says we wrestle against, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So that means your spouse is not your enemy. Your children are not your enemy. Your next door neighbour who might play music till all hours of the morning is not your enemy. The guy at work who doesn't like you is not your enemy. The girl at work who spreads rumours about you is not your enemy. Our enemy is the devil, rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. We need to know who our enemy is. It says in that first verse, 11, Satan has schemed, the schemes of the devil. Satan has schemes <coughs> to cause you problems. Now, there are two errors to avoid here. One, everything is spiritual attack. And the second is nothing. People so easily fall into these two categories. 
stub my toe getting up, I'm under attack. No, you're just clumsy. My child made a mess in a nappy as we were just about to get out the door on time. You're not under attack, that's what children do. All we say nothing is. I just can't shake this feeling of I'm not good enough. Right, so I must try harder. I've done, I've done everything right, but I just can't get rid of this feeling. Mm. You afraid about it? Are you applying the gospel to yourself? Oh, I'm, I'm doing my best. No, no, no. Are you applying the gospel to yourself? Not are you doing your best. Your best isn't good enough. That's why Jesus came. The real battle. I'm going to read a short passage from this book, which is called uh, The Life You Never Expected by Andrew and Rachel Wilson. Uh, the subtitle is Striving While Parenting Special Needs Children. But I would recommend it to anyone um, to have a read of, even if you don't have special needs children yourself. Um, <clears throat> this is uh, Rachel Wilson writing. Uh, she says this. Let me just read a quote. She, she says a quote from a, guy, a girl called Rachel Yankovich. Um, and Rachel Yankovich says this If there is anything I've learned in the course of my fast and furious mothering journey, it's a series of films that um, I wouldn't pay to watch. Um, fast and furious mothering journey is that there is only one thing in my entire life that must be organised. The kids can be running like a bunch of hooligans through the house that appears to be at the bottom of a house that feels to be at the bottom of the toaster, and yet, if organisation and order can still be found in my attitude, we are doing well. But if my attitude falters, even in the midst of external order, so does everything else. Rachel Wilson says, she is so right. I could have a rolling schedule of every therapy under the sun, but if my mind is not settled toward God as author of it all, I am not, and if I'm not putting him first, I might as well quit. It will all be in vain. It won't bring me any peace, and the true battle is being lost. The reverse is true too. There could be chaos, and uh, it says my house could look like the floor. The floor of my house could look like an explosion in the children's centre. But if through it all my thoughts are ordered and I'm able to see my circumstances in a God-shaped way, then the true battle is being won. What is exasperating is this: I can have days in which I win several fake battles. But in doing so, I lose the true one. The fake battles are a whirlwind of phone calls, government services, websites, more phone calls, forms, app applications, more phone calls, and each of these can distract me from the true battle, which more often than not is fought that way. Frequently, the weapons of the true battle include silence, prayer, thought, clinging onto a recently read scripture passage with my fingernails, seen through gritted teeth, reading a pre-written prayer out loud, reaching for Jesus through the midst of confusion or unanswered prayer, stilling myself in his presence and remembering that he is good and faithful and kind. Distinguishing between the fake battles and the true one, what I can do and what I must do is critical. Phone calls and social works can wait. Centering my thoughts on God cannot. Let's not get sucked into the fake battles, but let's win the real battle of putting God first, 
focusing ourselves on him. There's some real practical stuff in that list. He said, reading a pre-written prayer. If you think, I don't have time to pray, well, maybe you, when you've got five minutes, you could write out a few things for yourself. And, okay, I'm going I'm to read this out loud. This, this is what I want to pray about this situation. I'm going to read it out loud. That's not unspiritual. We've got this, sometimes we have this thought that, oh, you know, everything has to be spontaneous to be spiritual. Well, you know, we didn't make up any of those songs this morning. There wasn't just, you know, Lewis and Lewis and Esther and Sue said, oh, I, I thought of something great. Now, it's fantastic when something spontaneous does happen, when, because we're so focused on God, we're so in love with God, because we're in such a place that something bubbles out of us, that's great. But I don't think that's the only thing that's spiritual. So we need to know who our enemy is, and we need to know what are his schemes. Well, the Bible says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The tools of the enemy are lies and temptations built on lies. They're the primary things he will use. And there are two main lies which he's used forever. Since, the, since Adam and Eve, these are the two main lies that get told. You can't really trust God. And the second one, which is a, basically a variation of the first one, this other thing will make you happier than God. God doesn't want you to have that because then you'll be happy and you won't need him. God is concerned with your welfare. What will most make you happy is God. So when God says, come to me, He's not saying, don't go and do those things, do this because, you know, come and worship me. He's not saying that because it's bad for you, it's good for you. There's a PJS My talk on suffering, sickness and healing, which you can look up online, uh, which is fantastic. We've got an hour, suffering, sickness, healing, Fantastic. An hour, you'll have a great grasp of those things. And he says this, The lurking fear that God will abandon you in your darkest moments is a lie from the pit of hell. That lurking fear, oh, can I really trust him? Does he really have what's, what's best for me? Does he really know what's best for me? Let me tell you, he does. We're going to finish with our strategy. Know our enemy. Know what winning looks like. Winning looks like standing firm. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil. And we need to know what our strategy is. Verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. How do we win? The only way to survive in this fight, the only way to stand, is to be strengthened in the Lord. You can't win this battle by gritting your teeth and sheer force of will. It can't be done in our own strength. But the good news is, 
we're not like Easy Company, who were cut off, no air support, no artillery support, haven't got the right equipment, haven't got enough ammunition, we're not like that. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain, which means are needed, for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. His divine power has granted to us all things. Lewis read out that scripture earlier. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That doesn't mean we just sit back. Okay, he's giving it to me. I'll just sort of stand here then. That's what I'm meant to do, just stand. No, we, we are active participants in this. So here are five ways that we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And there, I'm sure there are many others. <clears throat> but here are five. Wait on God. Pray to God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do the will of God. And worship Jesus. Worship God. And Isaiah says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Draw a tweet from Terry Virgo. It says this, waiting patiently for the Lord has nothing to do with your temperament or disposition, but depends on your consciousness of his reliability. What he's saying is, it's not about like, oh, I've waited for five hours, isn't that really patient? It's being aware, I know I can trust him. I know I can trust him. So if, it, if this is taking longer than I think it should, well, I know I can trust God. I know he's reliable. Yeah. I can rely on him. Yeah. Wait on God. Yeah. Pray to God. Invite God into your life. Yeah. So many times... There are conversations with people where it's like, oh, this thing's going on. I can remember a time, I lost my keys. Okay? I lost my keys. This is just an absolutely true story. It's not made up funny story. Lost my keys. I was looking for them for hours. I asked loads of people. <clears throat> and I asked this one lady, and she said, have you prayed about it? And we were at a Christian camp. So I prayed. I was like, oh, okay. I haven't prayed about it. Yes, I should have prayed about it straight away. I prayed about it. Within two minutes, I had my kids. Because the next person I asked, or the, someone came over and said, oh, I found some keys. I picked them up, but then I put them back on the grass where I found them. <laughs> Why would you do that with someone's keys? Invite God into your life. He cares about your life. If you say, oh, I struggle to pray. Well, maybe you need to change. You're not praying, you'll change your perception of Jesus. You're not praying to little baby Jesus in the manger. You're praying to exalted, sitting on the horse, King Jesus, sitting on the throne. I've got my scepter, I'm ruling the nations, I bring everything to be subject to me, Jesus. If you think you're, if in your mind you're praying for baby Jesus, you're not going to be filled with faith. Because you're thinking, well, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? 
If you're in your mind, you're praying to risen, exalted Jesus, he can actually do something about it. And faith is stirred. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he would send a helper. 2 Timothy 1.7 says we've not been given a spirit of fear. We don't need to be afraid of the battle. We've been given a spirit of power and love and self-control. So we can know when someone at work says something against you, you don't fear that person. You're not afraid. You're, oh, I'm going to love this person. The spirit of God is in me to have this power to stand. I'm standing firm. I'm not giving in but I can be loving towards this person who's coming against me. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do the will of God. If you want to strengthen yourself in God, do the will of God. Knowing what you should do and not doing it is going to make you weak. Jesus said in John 4, I have food that you don't know about. He's saying, I've got a source of sustenance, I've got a source of strength, saying to his disciples, that you don't know about. It's doing the will of the Father. This strengthens me, this makes me bold, this makes me energised. Do the will of God. James 4 says, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee. In terms of a, a combat strategy, it's not Stand against the devil is submit to God, resist the devil, submit to God comes first. We're not all sort of like bravado, got the full armour of God on, come on then, it's I submit to God and I'm going to resist and the devil must win. Worship Jesus. Remember his victory, remember the benefits of it to us. And worship him accordingly. Again, this is something where maybe your perception of Jesus needs to change. Are you expect, oh, what? He saved me. This is He's that. He made himself a baby and lived this life. But that's whoa, he's magnificent. He's oh man, I'm a I'm a little scared Jesus maybe, but I know that he's good, so I don't there's a fantastic book called The Joy of Fearing God by Jerry Bridges. Fantastic book. And it's not, oh, I'm scared of God. It's, oh, he's, oh my goodness. When John first sees Jesus in the book of Revelation, he, fought, he says, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he put his hand on my head. He said, do not be afraid. What's your perception of Jesus? Is it one that inspires you to worship? Five ways to strengthen ourselves in God. Wait on God, pray to God, be filled with the Holy Spirit, do the will of God, and worship Jesus. Imagine a church where everyone was doing that. I've written something here. Imagine a church where the people inside were clued up, tooled up, and ready for action. I don't know if you know the expression tooled up. It's like, we've got our weapons. I'm told up for the fight. Imagine a church where we were ready. All of us were ready for the fight. 
a church that looks more like an elite fighting unit and less like an aid station. Now it's fine, we're, we said we're a teaching hospital. We're an army teaching hospital. Sometimes you're going to have to sew your own leg up. That's, that's, that's the reality of it. I want to ask you three questions. Are you winning? Do you know your enemy? And are you strong in God? Ultimately, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't lose. You might be made ineffective, but you can't lose. Jesus has won a victory that can't be undone. Let's pray. Lord, we pray to you not as the baby in the manger, not as even our saviour on the cross, dying in our place. But we pray to you as the ascended, glorious, King of kings, Lord of lords. The one who is ruling and reigning and is bringing everything under his authority. So we pray, Lord, for you to help us to stand firm. That when opposition comes to us, we would stand firm. We wouldn't be knocked back. We wouldn't be cast into despair. We wouldn't be fearful, but we would stand firm. Lord, I pray that we would, as we go through these uh, next few weeks, we would be putting on the full armour of God. We wouldn't be forgetting about our our shield or our sword, but we would put on the full armour of God, that we would be able to stand and just stand firm in what you've called us to do. So Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come right now upon us, that we would each be strengthened in you and the strength of your might, that we wouldn't just stand there in some sort of stoic fashion of, oh, I'm just going to take this beating because I'm supposed to stand firm. But actually we would be, I'm standing here and your best efforts, enemy, are failing because I'm standing in the strength of his might. It's not about my strength. My strength is, is meaningless. It's about the strength of God, the power of the Most High God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, dwelling in me that I can stand firm. But I thank you that your church is meant to be uh, a plumb line of truth. To help us as a church to stand for truth in our nation. I pray for each and every one of us to bless us this week as we go. Let us be aware of the enemy's tactics that we can see through so easily and not get drawn into the false battles, but focus on the real battle. We pray that doing all this we would glorify your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.